0: We have, uh, we are on the air. Uh, having avoided the, uh, the copyright cops, Mike Dick is still free. That's
1: right. Yeah. I love it.
0: Um. But for our, for our interstitial music uh, this week, we are going to use the entirety of HBO's The Wire. Ooh. Oh, nice. Right. You mean like it the episodes 60. or like all those? Yeah, uh, no, the whole thing. It's going to run the whole thing behind. 70 oh, okay. hours. Not just of, those re-dos uh, of, the, of the one song. No, 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 just gri- 70 gripping episodes of Life on the Streets in Baltimore. I've only seen nice. the first season. Oh. I'm
1: 25.
0: Uh, well, then tune into Mike Dicta. <laughs> Right, interesting thing to say to four men who will then yell at you to watch the rest. <laughs> of yeah, Have you guys seen the wire? It's <laughs> pretty
2: good.
1: <laughs> okay, let's, let's 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 do this.
0: Good evening, and everybody. We'll take that one more time. We'll cut that out. Yeah, sure, we will. There's nothing that gets cut out less than We'll Cut That Out. <laughs> in the history of podcasts, every We'll Cut That Out has ended up in a. Cut episode. that. Mm-hmm. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode six of Mike Dicta, America's best named legal podcast. Uh, we've got uh, a couple of returning guests and a newbie. Uh for another amazing episode uh joining us again as always is the hell dude Tarek.
3: I'm the hell dude. Uh
0: and uh in her I believe third appearance uh welcome back uh Christina. Hello. Making his uh second appearance here on the pod uh welcome back Andy. Hey. And in his debut uh with the Mike Dick crew everyone welcome the law dog John. Howdy. Uh, so we've got uh, three topics uh, today. The first one we're going to start with is a listener request. Uh, the Janus case, uh, an attack on uh, public sector unions on uh, First Amendment grounds, which is pending in the Supreme Court. Uh, something that's been going on for a while uh, are people, uh, union, public sector union employees who've been trying to Stop having to pay uh, agency fees. People, well, I guess they're public sector employees who have chosen not to join the union and who don't want to have to pay the sort of substitute fee.
1: Fucking scabs. To cover for the-
0: Right. It's <laughs> it's what's, not even that they're just they're just moochers, free riders. Yeah. The,
3: the 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 upshot of the case is to really import the concept of right to work uh, into the public sector in states that uh, have not adopted right to work. And I think it's in this case, like it all ends up being a
0: it's, it ends up being a First Amendment challenge mm-hmm. because what they argue about is they're like, look, I get that you say that we're paying just for bargaining and for grievance hearings and all of that stuff. But there's this line of legal thought that says that public sector bargaining is just effectively lobbying, right? You can try, like an old case, uh, Abood, basically said you can charge them a fee for the representation, but you can't charge them for all of the lobbying that you do outside of just like the, the core union representation activities. And so there are all these cases that try to sort of split one from the other. But there's another sort of strain of thought that goes through some of these cases. And in some of, like, I think the Abood dissent in some other cases that just say, look, the public sector employees bargaining for employment rights are just like any other lobby, because they're trying to get money out of the government or rights out of the government. And so you can't distinguish the two. And it, like, it drives me nuts because it's just another case where you sort of extend this speech metaphor because that's what it becomes. The agency fees become mm-hmm. considered forced speech. And so you extend this, you extend speech as a metaphor into money. And then you're like, well, so you can't have that. Right, right. And so and it just doesn't acknowledge that what you have are two rights colliding, right? One of them uh, is that it's essentially an employer-employee relationship like anything else. right? And the Abood court certainly says that's why the states are allowed to enter into these agency shop agreements is like when they're acting as an employer, they're, the environment has to kind of acknowledge that. And so the speech at issue is not significant enough to overcome the sort of complications of just blowing up the entire labor law aspect.
3: Well, do you think it would help to sort of talk a little bit about what a union is and why this is important? Because, mm-hmm. you know, this is sort of the culmination of uh, an assault on, you know, union power that's gone back you know decades now. Right. Um, once upon a time, much like for lawyers, uh, in order to work uh, in a union shop, you had to be a member of the union, right? And cases have been, and uh, in, in, in the Taft-Hartley Act and other things have, have in, uh, come, come into play since. Uh, let's say you, you know, cannot be necessarily compelled to join the union, but since the union has obligations to represent you. Uh, statutorily and otherwise, uh, be it to collectively bargain on behalf of your wages or to uh, file grievances and, and mm-hmm. other things, if you're if you're disciplined by the employer, um, because the union has those obligations, you know it needs to be paid uh, to do that, um, and so these these cases become very important because. Fundamentally, you can call it speech issue or something else. What's going on here is a is a fairly sustained, uh, methodical attack by conservatives to strangle uh, the economic life out of the union uh, and calling it a, a First Amendment issue.
1: So, like, right. so like Tarek said, I mean, like throughout the years, there's been this sort of sustained attack on unions and. Public sector unions are the only unions that sort of remain that are other than like the teamsters or something that are able to like sort of actually have power in the United States. So the fact that this that this lawsuit centers on public sector unions is especially harmful because they're they're sort of the only ones that like. You know, are looked on as like good and like powerful in in the U.S.
0: Right. Well, I mean, and those are re- that's related, right? Yeah. I mean, the attack on the attack on unions and labor rights in general was, you know, a sort of attack from the top in a sort of plutocratic sense, mm-hmm. right? Where where management is going after labor, and as the public sector organized. The, po- the political power, especially in sort of democratic strongholds, urban strongholds, um, lied in the unity of the labor movement, right? And so by, by sort of taking this sort of sideswipe attack at public sector unions, where the unions in the public sector... Are acting exactly like the unions did in the private sector, right? The agency fee agreement is clearly legal and unremarkable in the private sector, right? You can't that you can't make a free speech claim mm-hmm. in the private sector, and because the government happens to be the employer, you just end up with this kind of ginned-up free speech claim. By sort of bootstrapping this really silly argument that that you know just regular collective bargaining is lobbying. Yeah, I, I, and I think I think that's exactly right.
2: That uh, it, it's a strapped-on argument, and uh, it. It's interesting to see the conservative responses here because they know what they're doing. They know they know it's a sort of a disingenuous posture. Uh, but what they say is, people say that we're out to uh, we're out to disadvantage the worker and do a giveaway to billionaires here. But look, we're, you know, there's no billionaires to say. This is just. This is just the government employees we're looking out for. This is a purely philanthropic interest that, you know, the National Review is writing, you know, article after article or the the reason that industries have filed 47 amicus briefs in this is just because they're looking out for this. You know, they're looking out for these uh, workers which are having their speech compelled. Um but obviously that's, that's a completely fake posture, and what they're doing is that there's a, there's a labor solidarity, uh, a unity in the movement uh, as across public and private sector unions, and, and it's a great way to kick out a leg. Of a of a strong or well, I guess apparently weak movement, but it's a way to kick out one of the remaining strong pegs.
3: Well, but right to work has been extraordinarily successful in the in mm-hmm. the private sector, right? So private sector unionization is down to what six percent, right. uh, yeah. compared to thirty five percent for the public sector. So this is an easy way to essentially try to foist a, a right to work scenario where essentially free riders will you know bankrupt. Uh, the public uh, sector unions uh, across the board, right? It doesn't matter if you're in a right-to-work state or not. As long as uh, we can make the Supreme Court declare all of this as a speech issue, you can get the Californias, you can get uh, you can get workers everywhere, so uh, and work. and kill the sort of last stronghold of where unions still represent. You know, again, not not a majority, but thirty thirty some odd percent. So to what extent do you think that this is just
4: taking another shot at a booed with a court with a different composition and a different political climate. I mean, what do you think the difference? Do you think it's a meaningful difference? Do you think it's a meaningful evolution?
3: I do. I do. Oh. I mean, Alito, uh, in the past two cases, mm-hmm. uh, there's the, the the home care worker one, uh, and uh, I can't remember the other one, but uh, Alito.
0: Friedrichs in California. Friedrichs.
3: The, the, uh, Alito has essentially gone out of his way to say Abood, uh, is, is worth revisiting, uh, and has invited this. And, and I think, uh, well, no, I think the California case was the one that that went four. That yeah, was a four-four. Right? Four, right. That's when didn't Scalia say died in that one. Yeah. Uh, so the, finally, the California case came, and that was sort of seen as uh, you know the the, the the fulfillment of this invitation uh, that the wonderful Samuel Alito had been dangling out there uh, to come and finally kick the legs out from underneath public sector unions. But Scalia died. Uh, so it went four four to a per curiam decision that that had no had no uh, presidential effect. So we're back for the same bite at the same apple that Alito has been right. dangling. But, but we know we know how Gorsuch's going to speak on this
2: because yeah. he's already made speeches like at the Trump Hotel regarding this exact particular principle and also you know his entire line of precedent. It's not a real mystery which way he's going to go on this. Case. Yeah,
1: unions are already preparing for a bad uh, sort of result on this case like i mean just the makeup of the court right now is not favorable to public sector unions so they already know what's going to happen we already know what's going to happen and like that that I sort mean, of cuts to like you know the just sort of inevitability of the court makeup that we have right now
0: Yeah. And I mean, there's a sort of there's a tragic underpinning to all of it, which is the reason why right to work works. The reason why Janice is going to be successful as as sort of a crippling uh, of public sector unions is the that given the option to not pay there will be like this critical mass of people who just don't do it you so they know don't like care. what is supposed well but what is supposed to be a, mo- a movement of labor solidarity all of the workers hanging together <laughs> ends up shooting itself in the foot mm-hmm. because once given the option to not pay for the representation too many people just do it and they once they stop paying the union services probably get worse, which just leads to more people stop paying. The snowball effect, And it's just happened all across the South, which was sort of the first place that probably had sort of a more social antipathy to unions to begin Mm. with. Like even among union members, you know, as soon as non-union plants opened, everyone was sort of very willing to work there in a way that it was probably trickier if they were opening in Michigan. And trying to work non-union 30 years ago, they'd have been like firebombed uh, as soon as the picket line went home, you know, Uh, but that's not the case in, you know, like Tennessee and Mississippi. And so they were able to sort of build this private sector structure, structure without unions. And then the unions fell because so many people just stopped paying the fees. One of the uh, one of the other things that I thought was interesting about the Janus petition is it tries to turn like everything on its head. you know like the the Janus petition says that the idea of agency fees is that everyone pays for union services, right? And the Janus petition is like, this is just a privilege. Mm-hmm. Representing people is its own reward. Right. Why would they even want to be paid for this? Can you imagine how much it. of
1: a geek Mark Janice must be? Like, I just imagine him wearing his <laughs> pants like all the way to his rib cage. Like, oh, I don't like unions. I don't like collective bargaining. Like, I just imagine him being such a geek. I want to like flush. His. A i flush of his of his not, head you're down. picture
3: of You're not far off. Oh yeah.
1: <laughs> off. Like, do you want to like flush his head down a toilet? Like that kind of thing. <laughs> Fucking well, for nerd. Many
0: it's this kind of treatment by the uh, shop steward that has him so angry in the first <laughs> place, Christina.
3: Well, I, I, but you know, getting back to what you said, I mean, yeah. it's a, its an absurd—it's an absurd <laughs> argument. You know, oh, they've chosen to take this burden on. You know, they can't allege that it's a burden to have the exclusive duty to represent these employees because that's what they've chosen to do. Uh, But the fact is, you know, to to negotiate a contract collectively, uh, to uh, file a grievance and go to an arbitration, that takes lawyers, it takes union organizers, it takes staff, uh, all of that takes money. I mean, uh, these folks are 100% uh, aware Uh, that uh, money makes the world go round. And when you attack uh, an institution like this uh, by drying up its funds, uh, it's obvious what's going to happen. And it's obvious uh, what they're trying to do.
2: I I think they've also done a thing here that's sort of a legal move. And I realize that uh, due to the judicial makeup here, we sort of expect what's going to happen and maybe the particular legal standards aren't as important as the uh, political leanings of the justices. But... uh, the, the way I understand the legal standard, uh, at least one piece of it, is that, um, and this is just for the listeners, but when the government is going to restrict a right, uh, generally there's a lot of hemming and hawing over what the right is, what the scope of the right is, and whether the government's actually restricting it. But once you decide that that's what's happening, uh, the question is whether whether, and why and for what reasons and to what extent the government is allowed to restrict the right. And the the government has to have an interest that has to be uh, sufficiently important uh, given the right that they want to restrict. So in this case, if they want to compel speech or whatever they want to call it, uh, they might need an interest that is uh, sufficient to allow them to restrict a right or compel action, uh, force giving of dues, stuff like that. And in this case, I understand uh, the interest to be the pr- uh, the preservation of labor peace. That, right. uh That by forcing people to pay their dues it uh promotes labor peace but what i understand the petitioners to be doing in this case is to like charles was saying flip everything on its head and say that well you know if you look at the right to work states mm-hmm. uh they they've got the best labor peace you know because there's no strikes there now of course like the under the you know the uh, underpinning of that is that there's no fucking unions, so that's why there's no strikes and that's right. why there's so much labor peace. Uh, but they flipped it on its head to make what labor peace mean not a uh, peace between the workers because everybody is contributing to the same goal, but it's peace between like the laborers and the management.
3: Well the idea of labor peace you know goes back really to the idea of exclusivity. Mm -hmm. You know, that that, that that it was always in the employee's interest to have the ability to elect democratically uh, by a majority. And that implies that some people don't agree to elect the representative, but that they elect an exclusive representative and that the employees know who they're dealing with. And that management also has the interest that employees have one representative because they know who to bargain with. And they don't have to bargain with six or seven different contingents uh, for this for the same set of, of uh, uh, working conditions. Right. So it, it promotes an orderly uh, uh, administration of the processes around uh, uh, government employment that have been going on for a long time. And again, all of these things take money, all of these things require time and, and, and monetary investment and, and and so obviously again we're just calling it free speech when in fact it's let's yeah, just I think
1: I think that's like the crux right. of the issue. It's like all of this takes money. And I think that's like not really being addressed by like either side.
0: Well, well no, it's a I mean, I mean it's addressed, yeah. It's addressed. I mean Janice basically right. says the issue with, I mean, but here's where you end up with The sort of stupid issue is you would think that labor peace and being able to manage their affairs, not just as a government, but as an employer of thousands of employees across the state. Mm -hmm. Right. The government has a genuine material, significant interest in managing their labor in the way that it sees fit. Right. But by equating the agency fees and all public sector bargaining. To speech, you now make it that that like there have been cases that say that this ends up being a strict scrutiny issue. And strict scrutiny means that the government doesn't need a reason, they need a very compelling reason, and even if they meet the compelling reason burden, and this is where you get even sort of deeper into the weeds, even if you have a compelling reason, you can only restrict it by the least... But, you know, the least significant mean, the least burdensome means necessary. And so they're like, and so they're like, these aren't even not burdensome means because we're constantly bickering over what is a chargeable representation cost and what is a non-chargeable lobbying cost. Mm -hmm. And so you end up having all this bonus litigation over like moving the decimal point on the agency fee. Yeah, and the and the petitioners,
2: the petitioners take a position where they're like, well, if you want to get to labor peace, I got a much less restrictive way to do it, and it's a right to work. And then we'll get to labor peace right away. We won't have any of these big fights between labor organizations and management and all of sudden, no strikes, nothing like that. That's your least restrictive means to get there. Check out all the southern states, no mm-hmm. strikes, easy.
3: Oh, but again, but again, I mean the idea that we've even accepted this framing Uh, And that even even these that these this Volokh guy, uh, these these sort of these sort of libertarians uh, are are seeing through a lot of this stuff, which is, you know, there are plenty of things where you're compelled to pay money uh, and you may not agree with the end like taxes. You know, I have to pay taxes. Uh, I'm not being compelled uh, to make speech in the form of a, a military machine that I disagree with. I don't get to sort of opt in and opt out of, of, of compelled payments. Uh, so the, 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 the fact that this is being cast as a speech issue and that we're accepting it as such is, is, is a little irritating to me.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I'm not. I'm only accepting it No, be, I mean, I'm not, I'm not you. I'm saying the court. <laughs> I do not accept it. <laughs> I also
2: agree. I also think that the framing of labor peace itself is this kind of like weird poison pill where like the idea, I mean, the way labor gets what it wants is not necessarily through peaceful actions, right? I mean, you do bargaining and like hopefully everything works out and everybody's nice about it. But the way labor actually gets what it wants is you know through strikes and creating chaos by the threat of withholding labor, and that's mm-hmm. not an inherently peaceful action. And so, what if you're? And so, so by defining the government interest as promoting
0: labor peace rather than promoting like the welfare of the workers, uh, yeah, but that's not a government interest. I mean, like the government would never the government would never make that claim. The government is trying to make a claim that people won't laugh about, and so the claim that they're making is that it promotes not. Like what it means is they're not going to have constant strikes. They feel that their best bet is to bargain with one representative
3: and one. They don't and get want a to do it by and have a contract <laughs> that sets out terms and that runs for years and sort of you know stabilizes the workforce and. You know, if somebody's fired, this is the process. It it creates order. I think order is a probably better a better
1: mm-hmm.
2: way of sure. I'm it just right saying there. that when you define it as labor peace, you have an essential robbery of like the weapon that workers have. And so you go, Well, the interest we have is in you not using the thing that you could possibly use in order to get what you want. You have this it creates a drain whereby the only acceptable outcome under this standard is for people to stop Uh, labor from ever doing the things that actually get
0: them the results they're looking for. But I think I don't think you're I don't think you're looking at it from the government's framing. I mean, that's not really what they're saying. They're not saying we want to neuter them. What they're saying is if we have this structure, they are more likely to sign a contract. And the contract is what creates the peace yes. because we're not constantly fighting with them over every little thing because we've got this contract which says for five years, you're going to get these raises. These are the reasons we can fire you. These are the safety equipment things that we're going to give you. This is your pension. That's right. right? Like. All of that is what creates the peace, the lack of conflict yes. because you've actually signed a contract. No, no,
2: I, I'm, I'm, right? not, I'm not
0: disagreeing with that.
2: Or disagreeing with the government point. I'm just questioning the idea of labor peace as the only governmental interest here and trying to illustrate the way in which I feel it creates a, a, a downward pressure on the rights of workers.
0: Um, I, I think one of the – I think where you really get into like how egregious and phony – It is is like they argue that one of the things that Janice says, right, is and this goes to your saying, like to Andy's point about, you know, wanting to not really have the union at all. Right. It subsidizes the agent for unwanted advocacy, only compounds the First Amendment injury. And they they analogize that they say this is perverse akin to requiring kidnapping victims to pay their captors for room and board (laughs) the same. It is like the most overwrought taxation is theft. Doctors under
3: Medicaid are slaves. Sovereign
1: citizen argument almost (laughs) like it's just ridiculous.
3: But but that's, but that's, but that's sort of right. I mean, if you accept these arguments, uh, I can become a tax protester tomorrow. Right, because the government is forcing me to pay for things I don't want to pay for. I don't want to pay for missiles. You know, I don't want to pay for. There's tons the tax of public cuts. goods I'd love to opt out of. You know, I, I can sue the I can sue the New York State Bar uh, because it's forcing me to pay for uh, bar dues every two years, uh, which which are used to discipline attorneys. Uh, and I don't want to be disciplined. I'm a terrible attorney. I'll probably be, you, know, you are a terrible but I attorney. To, I don't want to fund that. So you know, if you accept these arguments, which apparently the Supreme Court of the United States is on the cusp of doing, if these if, if prognostications are correct, there's some argument maybe Roberts uh, will will not want to be the guy who destroyed uh, unions as as part of his legacy. Spoiler Listen.
1: alert: He's going to do it.
3: <laughs> I, I think. I think. I think. No. 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 There are a lot of things that I think
0: Roberts do doesn't want. Robert, there are things Roberts doesn't want on his Wikipedia page. Destroyed public sector <laughs> unions is one he very much does.
1: Yeah, he wants. He wants to be like the guy who's like shitting on unions. Like he's gonna do it. Like, like, like this case is like. I mean, I don't even. I mean, like we're talking about it, but but it's it, it's gonna go down. Like it's like this is gonna be not destroyed. Only, like it's very sad. I mean, that we're even.
0: I think Roberts will not only vote to knock out. Abood, and destroy public sector unions, I feel fairly confident that he is going to give it to Alito to write on his
3: birth. Incredible. Yeah, he's going to, like, jack
1: off all over it. Gonna, like, whenever he, like, hands this down, like, Roberts' has come is going to be all over, like, the...
3: It's a family, this is a family podcast. It is not. We're going to edit that.
2: Everybody's always saying teachers aren't paid enough. Well, uh, get ready because once the public sector unions, like every teacher's ability to collectively bargain, yes. uh, however currently circumscribed is going to get worse.
3: Forget teachers. Everybody loves cops, right? I mean, especially on this podcast. <laughs> Everyone does not um, love cops. Everybody, everybody loves cops. Well, and, Christina and if, loves in the, cops. In 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 uh, locations where there are not police unions uh, the wages are something like half uh, they are where, where where cops are unionized now we can talk Get about cop unions here or there but again these folks profess to love police uh, and they're gonna they're going to completely gut the compensation of of police as well as teachers firefighters the, the whole the whole,
0: Get the whole fuck, Danny fatant <laughs> i think i think uh, I think one of the worst things about that is now these cops who are essentially immune from prosecution generally are now going to be surly yeah. because they have lower wages they're going to take
1: it out like, on like some poor plaintiffs
4: the the cop lovers love to let the cops get away with whatever they want like the the cop unions aren't really bargaining for the same uh, against the same kind of animosity that you know the teachers union is i don't think
0: No, and they also, look, when the teacher's union, when the teacher's union stages a work action, uh, some parent has to stay home for the day. Uh, When the police stage a work action, they basically threaten the city with escape from New York, (laughs)
3: uh,
0: (laughs) which they literally functionally do. They're just like, they're just like, look, we're just we're just all sick. And the one thing that we're going to promise you is that there won't be any police between 74th and (laughs) 85th Street, between 2nd and 4th, 2nd Avenue, and the water.
2: But didn't this happen Uh, when de Blasio got elected and, like, a bunch of cops took off and then, like, the big surprise was there was no uh, sudden bump in crime? That's exactly exactly what
4: happened. The NYPD was was pissed off at de Blasio and they sort of threatened and apparently did, like— be cops less, I don't know, patrol less, or something like that, which I support fully, and, and you know, it was a great outcome. Um, and, and that was the, there wasn't more crime, you know. It didn't really it wasn't a strong uh, bargaining point for them.
3: But there's one other thing I wanted to point out before we before, before we move, which is this is a this is a speech issue, right? Uh, and yet we also this is being decided in the sort of context of uh, Citizens United, right? Where it's very right. important. That corporations oh, yeah. be able to speak with their money, right? right? Uh, and we we're very concerned about non-human entities' speech rights and their ability to 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 spend money in in any way they see fit. Uh, and the only non-human entities uh, that we're not so worried about their first amendment rights and speech rights with money apparently is is unions. Uh, so. Beyond the sort of other hypocrisies of this, it's, it's fairly incredible that, that this framing is, is going to succeed in this kind of environment.
0: Yeah, though, and though it also really sort of chafes when, uh, when conservatives are like, well, Citizens United gives rights to the unions to spend too— Uh, which is just very much a rich and poor are both uh, banned from sleeping under bridges (laughs) kind of argument. Like, yeah, I mean, I guess this is this is like uh, Paul Ryan uh, giving a billion dollars to Charles Koch (laughs) and and then bragging about uh, the teacher who gets, you know, uh a, a large arizona iced tea every week <laughs> in her paycheck. was
4: her costco membership over the course of the yep. year
0: that's right dollar 50 yep. a week baby costco <laughs> fees that is going to be the next thing is that some employer is going to offer an in-kind benefit of a costco membership Ew. under the uh the ryan plan
1: thanks so much paul ryan uh, Love, love
2: yeah. that boy. Tark, what do you think is gonna happen? Like what do you think is like you you've done labor law, uh I you you are obviously the person that knows the most about labor law. So like what do you think is gonna happen once this like what's just like the next I'm just curious just to pick your brain, like so this this case comes down and then what?
3: Oh well, I mean we already saw what happened.
2: Uh union roles are gonna decline.
1: It's gonna be bad. Um, like there's gonna be no public session more because so people defect,
2: they start free riding, the unions get gutted, they bleed to death. Is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah.
3: More or less, yeah. And, and, and you know, again, the, the, just look at where the private sector is, 6, 7% uh, versus the 36% uh, in public sector unions. Right. The reason for those disparities, in, in large part, is uh, this kind of right-to-work regime, which, if this is successful, again, it, this cuts across state lines, right? It's not even a question of right. certain states will be union-friendly and certain states won't. I mean, any... It'll be
2: a constitutional uh, overriding uh, of, of whatever in-state principles they want to assert. Any Janus
3: in any blue state can can, can can opt out.
2: Do you think
4: that you'll see a rewriting of, of sort of the state laws and, and contracts to try to get around this in some way, or it's sort of, you know, I, there, there's no getting around it, it it's so strong? I don't know. I mean, this has
3: all been so, um, for a long time it was kind of like, could you, could you opt out or could you, could you make them affirmatively opt out or should they really have to opt into paying dues, et cetera. We sort of were in that way, but this appears to just be like any forced, uh, payment is forced speech and ergo is unconstitutional. So I'm not even sure that there's technical wiggle room uh mm-hmm. if they it hold, hold as broadly as this this seems to want to to, yeah, to go and
0: it and especially if there's like a firm holding that it's a strict scrutiny question because it just makes if you, once it gets framed as speech it just becomes very difficult uh for any for any thing connected to public sector bargaining uh to to sort of pass muster really does it extend beyond that to, to other stupid.
4: any like other compelled speech you know another area of compelled speech
0: i mean it's hard because there isn't a ton of compelled speech outside of employment context you know i mean there is some the taxes. i mean the the bar yeah but it won't extend to taxes Why not? i mean
3: I mean, there won't be it,
0: it, because normatively it never will. Wo- it never will. Of course, there are cases on there are cases on point that say that you don't have a speech interest in general legislation. Um, you know, like that. Like it just sort of stops it there, which is why it's so dumb. I mean, but but I mean, the reason they won't entertain it is because everyone on the left will sue for any enactment that favors the right and everyone on the right will favor an enactment that favors the left. And I don't know what you do. What do you just call yourself a war protester and cut out like 70% of your otherwise owed taxes? <laughs>
3: That's right. <laughs> like,
0: I mean, the, the, it, it won't happen just because the Supreme court won't even grant cert on it. To
2: be kind of legally inflammatory, how far do you guys think we are from like de facto Lochner era? Like to the, once, once you have uh, unions blood to death?
3: This is, this is pretty close. I mean, this is pretty close. Yeah. Good. Um, yes. okay, and, good. and I think there have certainly been scholars who've said we're coming right back around uh, to Lochner. Uh, and, I, and I don't think, I mean, that's probably a little bit hyperbolic, but not, not too much. Not too much.
0: I don't think it's super hyperbolic, but the reason I don't think it's hyperbolic has less to do with uh, has less to do with things like this and knocking out public sector unions or unions in general, and more to do with kind of gig economy shit, where everything mm-hmm. is being oh, done through where everything is being done through non-employment. Yeah, like no
1: one's yeah. an employee. Uh,
0: you okay. have like, yeah. like an every possible person.
2: Them. With individualized contracts, uh, and then it's you versus uh it's you versus a godly entity that you have no power to bargain against
0: yeah, I mean, you're just paying Great for piecework instead of hourly wages, and you know whatever it is, like that I mean that's where it's getting it's getting undermined because we're moving away from employer employee models uh, where anything goes mm-hmm. I think that's the answer.
1: Yeah, it's like we're almost like beyond like an employer-employee relationship, which is like scary because, like, you know, if you're not an employee-employer, like there's there's no definitions for like the legal rights that you have. Which is
0: well, and it's especially it's especially sort of troubling when the backdrop is most of the country gets its health care. Through their employees, Yeah. Great system. Right. Like the private market was for a long time, not a particularly, you know, it was large, of course, but it wasn't really the main focus of Mm -hmm. the insurance, of the private insurance market. wasn't a sort of individual market. And as everyone moves off of the, you know, employer-based healthcare, it matters a lot (laughs) that, that, uh, that the A, the, that, you know, Obamacare is being, you know, kicked out and it is not, you know, we're not seeing single payer on the horizon. So, you know, these things, these these things just sort of multiply. Uh, anyway, that's the
3: joke. <laughs> <up. Boom. laughs> Hold on, give me one right here. Hold on.
0: You don't give money to the bums on the corner with a sign bleeding from their gums talking about you don't support a crackhead what you think happens to the money from your taxes the government's the addict with a billion dollar a week kill brown people habit and even if you ain't on the front line when a yell crunch time you right back at it man look at how you hustling backwards at the end of the year add up what they subtracted Three out of twelve months, your salary pay for that madness, madness, sadness. What's left? Get a big ass plasma to see
4: where they made
0: Dan rather point the damn camera.
4: Only hey, let's do DACA now.
0: now yeah, because it's that that's more fun. Um, yeah. so, uh, so, our second topic today <laughs> is uh, our second to- topic today is uh, the. The Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, uh, a lot of stuff has been going on in that uh, Mm -hmm. arena lately. A lot of high-profile protests over people being excluded. Uh, The most recent, I think, uh, Nick Garalfus, uh, an Eastern District judge, did something that judges all across the country have been doing for the last month, uh, which is... Holding uh, the president's tweets against him (laughs) uh, where where he basically said, I mean, it it was just at a court hearing, like as far as I could tell, it wasn't a written ruling or anything like that. But he Yeah. yeah, he basically told the government's attorneys that he was going to consider Trump yammering away about about being sent rapists and you know, the worst of the worst for Mexico will be held against him, right? That it is, that it is a cognizable statement uh, that he will use in evaluating uh, the backdrop of the rescission uh, of uh, the Obama-era DACA. Yeah, this um, is,
3: he's, he's presiding over one of several cases that, that essentially are challenging uh, the sort of abrupt ending uh, of the DACA program.
4: So it sounds like it's similar to the they were using. I think it was Giuliani's statements having to do to do with Muslim people uh, to to invalidate the, a previous um, immigration executive order. I mean, what what exactly is is the angle for using using statements like that to to invalidate something like this?
0: Oh, it shows improper motive. Like they're like even in cases where the government has a right to do a thing. They can't do it for an improper motive. And so all of the statements, uh, all of the statements just demonstrate that 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 happened uh, in the district of the District of Columbia. uh, Judge, uh, I think it was Collar Catelli in DDC when she stopped the Trump administration from uh, from reversing Obama's uh, exec. uh, Obama's order to allow uh, transgender people into the military, one of the things that one of the things she did was cite all of Trump's like tweets and stupid public statements about it, which which she said essentially put the lie To all of the arguments about military efficiency and all of that, because the government made no findings when they reversed it after Obama, before instituting the policy allowing transgender people into the military, had issued like, you know, they had the Rand Corporation issue a 100 page report in support of it, showing all of the ways that it neither affected military cohesion, nor was it a financial burden, nor was it a threat to national security. And so there were findings when Obama instituted the policy and there were just sort of claims that it was bad <laughs> when mm-hmm. when Trump said he wasn't going to put it into effect. And all of his statements in public were just used as part of the evidence that it was not a serious attempt to uh, to prove any of the things that they were saying would happen as a result of the transgender. When crime.
2: these arguments were originally floated uh, regarding, like, taking uh, Trump's statements and tweets and like campaign period uh, statements about the initial travel ban, I was real skeptical about them because. Uh, you know, they would go back and adjust the travel ban on the basis of advice of legal counsel and I thought like no court, like even, even a court with like liberal justices, is really gonna is really gonna stop the president from cleaning up their act on the advice of legal counsel. like That's not necessarily the kind of precedent you want to set where you could be like, well, it doesn't matter how you formulate this thing later. The fact that you said something racist earlier means we'll never let you do anything. We maybe do want presidents to clean up their act when they talk to their lawyers. But I have to admit that these recent statements, uh, this recent stuff with Garofas, um, they're, they're citing very, you know, obviously much more recent comments. The guy just doesn't shut the fuck up about it. Like he just keeps <laughs> on saying racist shit again and again. And so it's not like, oh, well, that's what he was saying during campaigning. And then he's fine, you know, and, and he's not, there's not even a mask of like, well, let me just keep this under wraps and I won't. Uh- no, there's, there,
1: there there's no, like, I mean, he is a racist. Like he doesn't even like care. Like it it, it is very much like. Yes, I am this, and this is like my policy. Send me some
2: Norwegians. I don't want but these. Shouldn't, uh, you shouldn't know, he care these other he's, people?
4: he realizes that you know saying these things or, or his sort of uh, lackeys saying things like this um, is detrimental to him enacting the policies that he wants. I don't think that, that he's capable of.
3: of, of- you know, existing, uh, you know, in, in time that way, you know, I think mm-hmm. whatever he wants to say, <laughs> he's just going to say, you know, these these cases are often like, uh, I think m- much of them are b- brought at least in part under the APA, the Administrative Procedure Act, which, you know, essentially the, the administrative state can do whatever it wants. You know, uh, deferred action is more of a practice than anything, you know, a statutory right of any kind. There there are some statutory uh, references to the agency's authority to defer action. But in, in effect, it's a decision that's being made on a practice basis. And so they're going to get a lot of discretion uh, in enacting these programs or re- rescinding these programs. But you can't act in a way, even when you have all this discretion, that, that's arbitrary and capricious, which is a standard that you should be able to sail under. Uh, In any normal circumstance, but um, these statements are being brought in to show that this is, in fact, arbitrary in the extreme and Mm -hmm. wildly capricious. Uh, Right. Well, and one of I mean, thinking
0: about it as an APA case is very interesting in the San Francisco case mm -hmm. where uh, where which is where the the rescission of DACA was enjoined. Right. Because daca wasn't passed as an agency action it was just an executive order so there was no notice and comment and there was none of the normal rulemaking process and so one of the arguments that the trump administration made was well if there was no agency process to create this deferred action right Then you can't possibly require agency action and all of the normal rules for us to take it away. I mean, that's how executive orders work. One president passes an executive order, a second person takes it away. And the reason why, uh, the reason why ALSEP out in San Francisco found essentially that he had jurisdiction to hear the case at all was kind of a neat trick. Right. Everyone everyone sort of figures that the case is framed based on the president's racism, because that's how all of the cases end up like all of the opinions end up being written. They're filled with stupid things Trump said, which proved that all of the legal arguments are a lie. Instead, what ALSEP did was there was the backdrop is in addition to uh, DACA, where they We're exercising discretion to to permit people who were brought into the country illegally as children, but grew up here to stay. They also passed the second uh, executive order, DAPA. I don't remember what it stands for, but the P is parents. And what it says is basically it's a way of getting a way of deferring action on Parents of undocumented parents of citizen children, right? The people who come into the country and then the children are born here. The children are citizens. It's a way of it's a way of deferring action and keeping their parents in the country. And the Fifth Circuit threw that out. They're of like, course. in that it's one, fifth,
1: it's a Fifth Circuit.
0: Yeah, but they did it on procedural grounds. On that one, they were like, you are passing. This is essentially. An agency regulation, and you did it without any notice and comment, and so this one's illegal because there are already paths to citizenship mm-hmm. for parents of citizen children, and so this one is just an end run, and the Fifth Circuit knocked it out, and so what Sessions did as soon as Trump was elected, and or as soon as he was confirmed as AG, is he said. Under the logic of the Fifth Circuit holding, DACA also is an illegal agency process, and and so they on that ground, I am reversing DACA because it was never legal to begin with, right? He didn't he didn't even sort of strictly undo it by new order. Right. He's just like the old one was illegal, and so it never should have counted. And so Alsip is like, well. Under those grounds, I get to decide if it actually was legal in the first place (laughs) and whether you need to go through agency action to take it away. And so most of the opinion basically explains why Sessions was wrong and that Obama had the authority to defer action in the first place outside of the normal rulemaking process. And so it just ends up being an incredibly dry administrative law opinion, as opposed to all of the colorful opinions that are just full of Trump's tweets from the toilet, this one is, nope, this is Sessions, who screwed up because he he could have given a lot of reasons, but the one reason he did give was that DACA itself was illegally enacted. And I'm telling you, it wasn't. And therefore, or at least at this stage of the litigation, mm-hmm. in terms of wanting an injunction, I think the likelihood of success is with the uh, is with the DACA plaintiffs. Do you, do you think that they'll be able to stay?
4: Does that make it easier? Any easier? You know, if, if they do find that to to rescind it with that sort of acknowledgement, you know, it, it's not an agency action; it's just an executive order. It can be rescinded at the whim of the president, essentially, or does it not matter?
0: I think it kicks the can down the road. Is the thing? Yeah. I like. I think at the very least, it's sort of it kicks it down the road until maybe there's a better, if there's a Democratic Congress. (laughs) Because I think, like, there is no doubt that if they went through the rulemaking process, it would just take a, you know, six months, a year, whatever, because they would fast track it. But they would pass it. (laughs) They would would institute policy changing these rules. Except that Trump is just trying to use it as leverage, right? To turn it into, like... He wants the legislation to pass, but only if he gets the wall and if he gets whatever other, you know, shiny thing is put in front of him that week, you know, so it's it's more useful for Trump as a legislative bargain than it is as an agency rulemaking because if he reverses it by rulemaking, well, I guess if he reverses it by rulemaking, then he can still make a legislative bargain on it. But he's not in any rush to do it. He'd rather have like this kind of sort of Damocles hanging immediately rather than after a year of rulemaking. And so that's his that's sort of his purpose in all of it. I mean, what the other the other case that came up and this is it's an it comes it's in part of alice's opinion but it's much more significant and i don't know if people read the uh the Ragbeer opinion uh, the catherine which Forrest came one. out yeah the catherine Forrest opinion from like the last week uh where in that case what they were arguing against was someone who had a final order of deportation and that's not really disputed uh but he had been going For years, like, he would just show up at his ICE appointment, Mm -hmm. and they would talk to him for a little bit and make sure he hadn't broken any laws, and then they would just send him on his way, right? But this time, he showed up at his appointment, and they basically cuffed him and said, we're deporting you today, or, you know, as soon as we can get you out of the country and put him into immigration custody, and, you know, moved to to deport him with like no opportunity to say goodbye to his family or settle his affairs or anything like that. And one of the, and it just like Forrest just found it grotesque. <laughs> like, I mean, her opinion has barely any law because she just found the whole. yeah, like it, it, was, whole it scenario was very hard.
1: personal. Like, I mean, she just found it like personally yeah. aff- like, affronting. Oh,
3: she so yeah, went on think, about this sort of right to say goodbye and to, to sort of you know have this closure. It was very, very sort of intimate and, and, and
1: I mean, and I agree with that, too, but it's like she doesn't really cite any
2: law. No,
3: like, but, like, I mean, she's
2: not—it's not that it's totally detached from legal concepts. My no, opinion. it's not. I mean, it's it's you, not have, it's you have not. this person who is—I uh, guess she's sort of saying that, like, they've, you know, uh, accumulated a right— Over the years, you know, through reliance on government contact, that there would be some, there would be some warning, there would be some, he had every reason to believe that their meeting was one kind of thing, but instead it was a very final other kind of thing. I I don't think that legal theory is going to hold up in any way because courts are going to be terrified about granting that right because every next plaintiff would have it. But I
0: think she has the right of it uh, from a moral standpoint. Well, I mean, the reason there's no law is because I think there's like a a huge pile of case law that says that once a final Mm -hmm. order of deportation has been given, uh, that the that the you know the person subject to that order really has no further rights right. other than anything discretionary though she slips in a footnote mm-hmm. right that where you know footnote 9 where she just slips in a footnote that the first time that they let him go after the final order of removal one of the One of the ICE officers informed him, or no, the order of release. So it's not even like, it's not even like secondhand hearsay or whatever. In the order, it says once a travel document has been obtained, you will be required to surrender to ICE for removal. That's fair enough. The travel document was obtained. You will, at that time, be given an opportunity to prepare for an orderly departure. Right. Right? Mm -hmm. So he was given a piece of paper which told him that he'd be able to say goodbye to his family. And so, at the very least, the most offensive part of it, beyond the kind of circumstances of his uh, sort of long term residence and, you know. Yeah, he he never had any opportunity
1: to say goodbye.
0: I I think
4: the most, most of the horror stories that, that we see about ICE that are sort of cropping up everywhere lately. Have to do with how much discretion there is, you know, with ICE, with the rest of the the immigration system. I mean, they they are legally allowed to do certain things, but in the past, they they just chose not to in many cases, and, and it was sort of less brutal, maybe than we've been seeing the last year.
3: But for but for but for a long time, immigration law sort of did permit a discretionary weighing of equities and sort of taking into account things like the guy's been here 40 years. Uh, There's ICE just rounded up another guy and deported him, Uh, Amr uh, Adi, I think, Amr Othman Adi as well, Mm -hmm. same exact thing. Uh, Some technical uh, failure. He had a green card, uh, but uh, there was some allegation that uh, his first marriage, uh, upon which the green card was predicated, was fraudulent, and they just packed him up and threw him out too. Uh and, and the immigration laws, you know, you used to kind of be able to make your case, uh, but then uh in ninety-six, your friend Bill Clinton, uh author of the EDPA that we spoke about the, uh, last episode, <laughs> uh put the, put in it's put in place IRA IRA, uh, which was uh, I can't remember what exactly illegal immigration reform and immigrant responsibility act, which took away a lot of the discretion. Uh and so if you remain illegally in the United States for a period of time you 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 are mandatorily required uh to be thrown out. So this sort of engine of just grinding people through and throwing them out and you know having really no ability to take into account things like the equities, the right to say goodbye, you know, is this the right thing to do? Uh the the tools and the, that have are empowering ICE to act this way, uh those were all laid uh, uh The foundation for that was laid uh, under Bill Clinton. I think any discussion of
2: Robbie Rogbeer has to at least include that, I mean, it's – it would be absurd for me to believe that they went after this guy. I know, I know they go after a lot of people. But what he does, right? Like he is an immigration activist and has been trying for a right. long time to alert mm-hmm. people to the injustices that ICE subjects people to. And then to show up and have a surprise handcuff. This wasn't an accident. It wasn't just like, a, well, the Trump guys are doing this to everybody. And when he showed up, they cuffed him. This this definitely had a personal element. They were ready to get rid of this guy. Oh, they did, yeah. But they
3: did, yeah. they did do this to Othman Adi as well. He, they, he was sort of they put a, they slapped a ankle bracelet on him. They made him sort of show up uh, for regular hearings. He was selling his house uh, to buy tickets to Jordan again. The guy's been here forty years. He owns a convenience store in Youngstown, Ohio. Uh, married uh, to a citizen. His children are all citizens. Shows up for a regular check in, and they toss him uh, in immigration detention, and then throw him on a plane. Even though yeah. even though he had bought tickets for, after selling his house, they threw him on a plane anyway
0: and you, and if you read the facts on you know why he ended up in the crosshairs anyway it really sounds like real bullshit i mean like the claim cuz he came here on uh, a marital visa can i just or, clarify right and, now,
2: when you're you're talking about ravi or you're talking about afman Ali? no this is odd, okay, odd. just make
3: sure
0: this is Adi. the same, but
3: the same um, exact thing where you sort of show up for your regular, your, uh, regular meeting and they just, right. Surprise.
0: But, but the, but the background on Adi is the reason he was removable is because he came here on a marriage visa and the, you know, that marriage ended in divorce and he remarried, had kids, ran his business. But at some point in the process, his first wife alleged that the marriage was an immigration sham. Yep. And that made him subject to removal. Mm-hmm. And even though his first wife has taken that back. She
4: had cancer, yeah. yeah, wait, wait, wait. Doesn't he get to contest that that aspect of it, that the marriage is <laughs> Well, he's from? already
0: lost it.
2: He that lost was him. a long time ago. Yeah, you could ask lost asked a lot that, of right. stuff about, I mean, I don't think you're gonna, it's all going to be
0: favorable. <laughs> yeah. Well, but I mean, My that's wife. what happened. But she tried to retract it. Right. I guess in part in connection with his uh, in connection with his more recent removal fight, uh, she tried to retract it, but it didn't matter. Right. She was he was already removable and she's claiming that she was pressured in the first instance to claim that the first marriage was a sham. But I don't know enough background as to what the basis was for why they would want her to specifically lie about Adi. But, like, I don't know. I Like, it's really hard to figure out what the deal was if this was just, like, you know, post-marital squabbling that got completely out of hand, you know, where someone just, like, (laughs) just as part of like a divorce fight went completely off the rails and then regretted what she did later, or maybe it was a sham. I don't know, but, but like when you're only reading like a couple of pages, you know, like a news version of the whole thing, it's just, it ends up sounding like, you know, a personal fight that just went completely too far. And now this guy 40 years into a life in America is
3: being sent back to Jordan. They tossed him on a plane, even though his congressman was trying to enact special legislation and do other things. I mean, had enacted that's right. I'm sorry. (laughs) They literally
0: ignored Congress, (laughs) Congress, Congress tried to pass a private bill and ice kicked him out anyway. Um, So it's, uh, it's pretty crazy. And I think the same thing was true with, uh, Miguel Perez, uh, you know, the veteran, this is the one that's sort of going all over the news because he's uh, because he's not a Muslim uh, is the and he's a veteran is the one that is getting all of the attention because he served two tours and, you know, he never got citizenship after his military service because no one ever really told him that he had to do anything. And he thought that some ceremony that thanked him for his service might have been like a citizenship conferring kind of thing. And so he just never became a citizen. And then he got, uh, then he got arrested for being involved in a cocaine deal. Mm -hmm. And so as soon as his prison sentence ended or whatever, or maybe not as soon as, but, but they're tossing him though. It's funny because he ends up being, You know, his personal case is very compelling because he served the country in two tours. But, you know, being involved in a drug deal is one of the sort of easier cases for ICE to make Mm -hmm. for kicking a guy out. And so it's just sort of a very shitty situation.
1: Yeah, like it makes it easy for
0: him. Yeah, I mean, like this is one that ICE is just not going to change their mind on because not that they ever. Yeah, change their
1: I mean, mind. like ICE is basically like like they're a bunch of thugs, like but like don't make it easier for them.
4: On what basis have we seen? Like, has there been any success? Like, is there is there anything people can do in this situation? I mean, there there really isn't, right? Because it's sort of just don't they're choosing sol- to enforce. Like, don't something. call the
1: police. Like, don't
0: call the police. <laughs> <laughs> That is not even good. with two tours in <laughs>
2: Afghanistan, if you're getting the thanks for coming out, I mean, I can't imagine, you know, just thanks for coming out. Here's a ticket. Uh, let us know where you land that the, if, if that guy's not getting it, nobody's getting it. Although I guess you make a good point that the cocaine deal is, is the thing they can hide behind without uh, acknowledging that they probably should have given him citizenship a while ago.
0: Yeah, I mean that's the thing that always got me is I thought that there were cases. This is just sort of a vague memory from law school, where <laughs> they where where no, where part of military recruitment was because they would recruit oh, citizens. Part of military recruitment is we will like your service will fast track your citizenship. Absolutely, is that
1: true? Why else? When I was in yes. when I was in
0: boot camp, we had a guy named Chu.
2: He was a very smart Chinese guy, and. Uh, he absolutely was joining specifically for citizenship reasons uh, because he was a Chinese citizen. Prior uh, prior to this, he was unable to do anything with his brain power because they won't, you know, all the, all like the electronics or um, other positions were, uh, they were like no foreign type positions. So he had to work in like the supply uh, section, which wasn't necessarily commensurate with, his intellectual ability, but he didn't care at all. And he was just like excited about the citizenship opportunity. It's a very normal thing.
1: You, re- you, yeah, you can really s- get it through military service.
0: Absolutely. Yep. It's like a plus factor. Did not in your <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Which is, and so that's why up. you see, and for a country of
2: troop fuckers, you would think they would like shepherd the guy through it, but instead <laughs> they just don't even tell him. And then, uh, Hey man, uh, thanks a lot. Take it easy. You give your
1: life for America. We'll give you some citizenship, maybe.
0: Yep, but I, like, the, but they end up putting the burden. I think. I think in World War II, you know, they were much more proactive about pushing the paper right. and getting anyone who served, you know, through the through the immigration uh, thicket. But it just seems like. You know, it's just like everything else is falling apart and half-assed, and ah. no one just sort of helped him fill out a goddamn form, and so he fell through the cracks, and it's just- It's, it's a shame. Horrible. It's a shame. But, that's why, but that is why you see a lot of, you know, a lot of these cases end up being very simple, like- Very sympathetic plaintiffs because they were veterans, and they were veterans because they were joining to eventually get citizenship. And he
2: was trying to deliver cocaine to ordinary citizens, which is also an American service.
4: Yeah, the recruiter doesn't tell you. They say you can get citizenship fast-tracked if you you join the military, but they don't say, by the way, when you get
2: out— you need to fill out an N four hundred or do whatever. <laughs> the recruiter not give a, a fuck, citizen. man. They tell you all kinds of shit, and like half of it's false. Uh, and then the stuff that they tell you that's true is a lot harder to do in every single case. For the record, uh, Andy is a troop. Oh, X X. Oh, thank, thank you. you my, dicta, my
1: dicta. My that We right. have one troop, and it's Andy, and we all ride his coattails.
2: That's right. I give we, everybody. I, mean, I give everybody the
0: pass to um, I Sheila. Am, I am. I am now an honorary
3: thank I'm a Because I spoke with Andy. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for your service, Charles.
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> so, speaking of incredibly stupid people. Hell yeah. I, the, the closer, the closer for today, uh, and a closer in real th- life of a true professional. Clos- yeah, Is a throwback uh, for uh, for fans of the the hit Netflix documentary uh, "Making a Marine.
1: Hell yeah! Uh, the
0: The one clear standout moron <laughs> on a show which had a lot of corrupt people uh, was. Uh, now I'm forgetting his first name. Is it uh, Len? Len, Len Kaczynski. Kaczynski. Len Kaczynski, who was uh, Brendan Dassey, the, you know, Stephen Avery's cousin. Len Kaczynski was his first attorney, an attorney who did literally nothing right. <laughs> for a reminder of Len Kaczynski's greatest hits for making a murderer, the first thing he did uh, when he was assigned as counsel to a 16-year-old who had just confessed in an interview where he wasn't even a suspect had just confessed <laughs> to raping and murdering teresa halbach the first thing he did was announce to the press that he did it normal and they were going to plead guilty
2: <laughs> <laughs> the i never watched making did... murder so this is the first okay. time i'm hearing about any of this and this is incredible. Andy is oh, okay. off
1: the this, pod for not listening to Making wait. the Murder. No, no, no. I'm All your right, fresh
2: person. I'm the fresh person who can react freshly to these <laughs> absurdities. Yeah. All these
0: horrors. Okay. So the first thing he did was tell the press that his client did. Cool. Well, this nice. was
3: also, just so, for Andy's nice. benefit, uh, Brendan Dassey was a minor uh, who he was, was also cognitively like disabled. Slow. He was cognitively yeah. slow, uh, who was uh, interrogated for. I don't know a significant period of time with no no one present, not a Good. parent, not uh, not an attorney. The videos uh, are awful and led. Down this road of, what did you do then, Brendan? What, what happened? What did you do to her head? How did, how did this, you know?
0: Yeah, there was a lot of feeding of information. Like, the the
3: confession
0: was very dubious and the subject of a lot of other litigation.
1: Yeah, like, if you watch the video, actually, it is very clear that they are, like, leading him down to a certain answer. Like, it's, the it's disgusting.
2: The first thing I would
0: do when I met a client like that,
2: I would just go straight to the press and say he did it.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, let me be clear about something. The second thing he did was meet his client. <laughs> Are you fucking at time, serious? At the time he had spoken to the press, he had I think at best he had spoken to his client for like a couple no, of hours. Like, by so the way, man, he did so it. Number, by
1: the way, I've man, never met man, him.
0: No, no <laughs> okay, but wait that's a second. The wrong order, for, <laughs> first thing he did. First thing he did was he. Said that his client did it. The second thing he did was meet his <laughs> client, at which point his client recanted his confession. Oh, cool. Shit, right. cool. Right? His client recanted his confession. So the next thing he did was he brought in uh, a guy to make Brendan Dassey confess again. The pressure, Which yeah. he did. Uh, With, uh, what? Uh, what? Because, because Brendan defense Dassey attorney? is
1: a mentally disabled his attorney, team. His,
0: you have to, you have to, his defense attorney brought in, like, some guy, and now I don't even remember what he was supposed to do, but his, the idea was, he wanted to get, he had a litigation recamp strategy. not the recant. Okay. please. No, his his litigation strategy was there's no way he's gonna get out of this, and the only card we have to play is testifying against his cousin, and the only way we can play that card is if he pleads guilty. What a fucking battle
2: cry. Okay, well he's definitely
0: fucked, and let's start from there. Well, so so that's what he does. He gets he gets him to confess again to this this investigator, Mm. right? And then after he confesses to the investigator on camera, he then goes back to the, the – he goes back for another unsupervised interview with the police. Yeah, he permits this. Brendan. Brendan he, goes Not back. only does he – yes, Brendan goes back, no conditions, and he confesses again. Wait, yeah, his attorney was like, look, guys, just do whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> his attorney – Yes. Put him yes. in the room alone no with the police conditions. again, <laughs> yes. and so he confesses again. Classic the first conf- Yes, the first, uh, the second confession was thrown out. The second, where they're like, "Wait, well, you did what?" and they kicked Kaczynski <laughs> off the case, and they threw out the second confession. But the first confession stood. Because they found that it was non-coercive. There was a lot of litigation about that. And so the first uh, confession stayed in, and so he was convicted. But that's all that Kaczynski did. We're not going to go into the whole documentary. But Kaczynski's role was to get his client to plead guilty against his own, like, claims of innocence... And eventually, he was convicted. So,
1: anyway, he's an idiot.
0: That's an amazing background for this, the beginning of this story, which is that the guy's now a judge. No, he has been a judge the whole time. <laughs> he's, a, he's, a, he's an idiot. He's like he's a,
1: the dumbest man. He is the dumbest he is, man.
0: He's like a he's a municipal he's a municipal judge. He's got and one
1: brain so cell.
0: Yeah, he's a hottie. I'm l- looking at him right now. He's extremely attractive. He's so I think he's basically an ALJ. Right, he's a municipal judge and so his you know, he's his he's not like doing civil cases or criminal cases. It's all sort of it sounds like it's all administrative stuff. Traffic
3: court or whatnot.
0: But now he's being he's he's under review because he's been harassing his clerk.
3: Normal just
0: sent like meowing at her
3: yeah yeah that, that's As my that's does. my favorite that's my Wait, favorite. meowing
4: yeah. for 40 minutes that's that's an essential part of the story just, just <laughs> imagine that visualize Tapping, that if you will He's
0: yeah. for 40 a pen for 40 minutes and making meowing noises <laughs> it's like it it's just it's just an amazing thing because he like she submitted to get this order of protection and to file like to get this investigation going she reported all of these things You know, she said that he sat next to her desk for 40 minutes, tapping a pen and staring at her and making cat noises. Girls love it. Until she was so uncomfortable that she left.
1: I mean, I know whenever I want to fuck someone, I just sit next to them and like bang my pen against them and make animal
2: noises. It works
1: every time.
2: What I don't get is his explanation here is that. Okay, listen, I may have picked up a stuffed cat (laughs) on my desk and may have made a cat noise once or twice to entertain a little
0: kid. Like,
2: what What the fuck is he fucking talking about?
0: (laughs) My child, my long, haired child. He was uh, just some other kid he was trying to plead (laughs) out. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Um, but he, but he, the, that kid was like in a on a jaywalking charge, and he's now uh, confessed to 32 homicides on the advice of Kaczynski.
3: On the advice of, um, Kaczynski. The the advice
0: of Kaczynski, and so, uh, and then he says he didn't recall having the time or desire to stare. But it's just like a litany of creepiness. He sent an email where he says, and this is after this is after she has complained to HR mm-hmm. about him. Right. Like all of this has happened where she's complained to HR. He's aware of it because there's been a meeting where they're like, stop creeping on your new clerk. And so he sends her an email that says, by this time next week, some things are going to happen that will cause a lot of fire and fury at municipal building. I am not resigning just be psychologically prepared.
1: I love oh, to email my secretary and ask her if she's psychologically prepared for me.
0: <laughs> yeah. uh, that
1: he
2: definitely sounds like it's he's going he to was, work with a rifle. That—that's you exactly have to hear his like. response.
3: He was shocked that she took that as a threat. Oh, and then, and <laughs> oh. then he, he he followed he followed up he followed up with another email. Saying that uh, she shouldn't go uh, to administration uh, if she wants a happy workplace, and that he can't tolerate a weakling unwilling to have free and open discussions like meowing.
1: I guess. He's asking her um, if, like, she's okay left, with doing it without.
3: A this comment. guy is a beast. He's like, and then left a, left a left a envelope smeared with his blood
0: uh, <laughs> Wait, on his what? desk. <laughs> Wait, for real? Yeah, yeah. that's, no, that's real. real. I did not see that he said that He, that he said that you he was just doing that because he had,
1: like, a cut on his hand. You said it like, was to oh. remind him
2: to get Band-Aids for the office.
1: As <laughs> one so it's does. a reminder to
2: himself. I like to smear blood on the wall when I don't. When my first aid kit is empty, I just
0: smear my wound against the wall, and then I don't forget. <laughs> it reminds you of Red something. rum is not a reference to murder. <laughs> it is a reminder to buy rum. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Like, whenever I'm hurt, I just, like, smear my blood on my secretary's wall.
2: It's, like, what? normal. There's a lot of stuff here. My, my particular favorite is that he's filing letters of reprimand against her for, like, yeah, for, you are, like for res- I sent you a fucking birthday card, and you weren't nice enough to me about it. And no, he's like, it was his Christmas, card. A it was his Christmas card. It was his Christmas card.
0: Well, but oh, wait, it but it. he says, he says, like, he sent her the card, and he's, like, say thank you. <laughs> and she didn't. And he called that failure to obey a lawful order. That bitch! No, the the best part... It's like, it's insane. <laughs> it's like, it's like, I think there are men's rights activists reading this and going, bit much, lad. Yeah, the, the best part
4: to me is that he uh, he was ordered to have a third person present whenever the two of them met, him and the clerk, um, by... by court HR, I don't know the court officials and he filed a lawsuit to stop the administration from from requiring that a third person to be present.
1: <laughs> I think the best part is that his name is Lynn.
2: Like has there no, ever the been Stole like a non- I
0: yeah, yeah, disagree that's the best part. Yeah,
3: no, there's I, there's I, many, I have a couple many other parts yeah. that were a little
2: better for me. What? Yeah, uh.
3: <laughs> This, uh, this was brought to my attention, by the way, by a, a, a listener, uh, Music for Cougars. Uh, so I want to definitely thank
0: you. Thank
1: you, uh, music, for for you the music for Cougars. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I
4: also but, just want to throw in one other little perfect bit. One, uh, it says, one of the allegations being considered by the Judicial Commission that's investigating this misconduct is that uh, his, his duties as judge might be impaired by permanent disability it doesn't say any more in the article that i read about what that might be but but i believe it
3: yeah
0: oh they say so that, he says they more. say that he had a reaction he had a reaction to meds And that he may be having uh, mood swings. Relatively
2: mild mood swings.
0: (laughs) I love whenever I
1: react to meds and become extremely horny.
2: The first thing I want, (laughs) when I go into court, the first thing I want for the judge is to be like, look, I'm on some meds right now, and I'm having some kind of mood swings. Don't worry. I'm definitely going to be If you
0: hear any meowing,
3: um, I, lo- I just, just want to say it. that
0: part of his defense just is that anybody who's observed or seen me would not say that my judgment <laughs> or mood or cognitive abilities were affected to the extent that I couldn't be a judge yeah. and deal with the decisions that happen in court, even though there is literally a documentary showing <laughs> <that>. <laughs>
3: <laughs> like they're n- guys one of the most incompetent attorneys uh, to enter the public consciousness in the last five years
0: he's an elected official like he's not just a municipal employee who got hired as an alj yeah, he's
1: like he's rubbing his dick on someone
0: there's got to be someone out there who wants to be like a municipal judge in fox hollow Wisconsin. All you
2: got to do is put Fox some processing. put up some flyers Fox that are processing. like, not the guy for making a murderer.
3: <laughs> well, but he's he's also he's also not the only sex creep. Oh, right. That document. Everyone, everyone
0: is right. The prosecutor, uh, the Cumberland County prosecutor brought in because Manitowoc County uh, was considered conflicted because of all of the because Charles, all of the previous litigation with Steve Avery. The neighboring Charles Manitowoc. it's Manitowoc. Manitowoc. <laughs> God. Yeah. We're gonna there's always one, man. <laughs> every, every every goddamn episode I get corrected on some pronunciation that I very affirmatively don't care about. Um but no, but Kratz, the the prosecutor, uh he makes Kaczynski's stuff look minor because what Kratz did uh is he hit on the victim in a domestic violence case that he was prosecuting. Normal, and that's right. And to say that he hit on her really, really short cells. What he did because he constantly sent her harassing texts about what a catch he was, <laughs> uh, including, including. I mean, he really is a very. And I need to stress this: as an unattractive man, <laughs> he is a very unattractive guy. He's man.
2: 55. He's got a cop yes. mustache from like cop shows in the 80s, mm-hmm. and he does pomade slickbacks.
1: I would have to be deaf and blind to pork this man. <laughs> <laughs> as as the woman of the podcast, I can say that like it would. Mm-hmm. I would have to be just like a like a senseless blob.
0: That's, that's not the <laughs> way he looks. at But it. that is not the way he looks at it. Very specifically. Because what he said was in a text uh, I'm the attorney. I have the three hundred and fifty thousand dollar house, uh, I have the six-figure career, you may be the tall, young, hot nymph, but I am the pride. That's what
1: that's what I get from everyone yes. in this podcast.
0: That is like what you hear every that's day right. in family court.
4: <laughs> I thought the best one that was is- are you the kind of girl that likes secret contact with an older, married, elected DA. Oh. The riskier the better. Uh, that was one of his that of. That's
0: like ad copy from adult friend finder. <laughs> like, that's like sidebar that's sidebar text. Yeah.
3: Well I just where do we where do they get these lawyers? I mean, you know, like leaving aside the other guy and his outstanding incompetence, like this guy's you putting boy, this he, in right.
1: I mean, this is what happens you know, whenever I, I just, your like brain is located in the head of your dick. I mean, like, like this guy has obviously not gotten it wet in like six months, so he's
0: just like willing
1: to do whatever.
0: He's a he's a fifty five year old married man, so <laughs> evidence is good. Hey. you're <laughs> I mean, there's
2: there's some stuff here. That, like, it's it's less funny, but like, it's clear he knows what he's trying to do. He's definitely trying to like. Be a predator for a young person who's like been subjected to violence. He's like, "Hey, miscommunication. What's the sticking point? Your low self esteem and you fear you can't play in my big sandbox." To a victim of a crime, yeah, yeah I mean,
1: Definitely it's obviously on it's obviously he's, awful. Wait,
0: to a to a victim of a crime that she is prosecuting her. He's prosecuting her abuser. Like she's got a like she's. You would think. That the victim would have some kind of confidence that he will be pros- properly charged. It's like how horny and can prosecuted? you be? Like
1: how like how bad do you need it? Apparently,
0: pretty horny. I mean, this can't possibly have been the first person. No, either, it's not. Right? Like this has to be his move. Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely.
1: Yeah, which is anyway. This
0: needless to say, she left. Him. Yeah, it's, his wife left him. It's <laughs> the sickest part. It's this. like he's
1: obviously done this before.
0: Um, But yeah, this was, but that was all way before, like it happened after the prosecution, but it, but it came, it came out before the documentary. So this was like, you know, the way the documentary progresses by like episode, like four or five, you hate this guy, (laughs) because like, it just all seems very shady and corrupt. And so you know he's prosecuted it's going through the appeals and you kind of love the appellate attorneys and it keeps going back to this guy who keeps defending every horrible thing that they did uh and you just get the extreme pleasure of him being totally humiliated around as episode 7 or 8 of the podcast because this explodes in the middle of all of it yeah he's a dumb fuck uh, I love yep. that this
2: ruined his life before the documentary came out, and then the documentary came in for the overhand <laughs> slam.
0: That's sad. Uh, yeah. Very satisfying. Yeah. I, Though now he's, I mean, he's working as a he's working the defense side. He is a he is defense attorney in Cumberland County, Wisconsin, uh, and I think he did an interview. I'm trying. Defense
2: to, clients love know. it
0: when you text them uh, pictures of your balls. Yeah. Yeah. But no, he's now, now he's only texting district attorneys. What's mm-hmm. <laughs> the matter? Love to text so, my
1: prosecutor if she, like, you know, wants to bang it out.
4: Maybe once Len uh, isn't reelected, they can uh, form a law firm together of Kaczynski, Kaczynski, and Kratz.
0: you. Bar. Oh, we just need one more K. <laughs> 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 Is there Ooh. a Keller? KKK, <laughs> Keller law firm. Somewhere? All right, uh, so I think we've covered all the all the law we're going to cover, uh, so I'd like to thank everyone uh, who was on the pod today, uh, Tarek, the hell dude, at Mementions on Twitter, Mementions. Uh, M-U-H, Mementions, uh, Christina, floozy, E-S-Q on Twitter, uh We've got Wyatt underscore privilege Andy <laughs> uh Law Dog on Twitter with too many vowels in too many weird places. Just check the episode description for uh for John's handle. And I am you garls saying uh night on behalf of Mike Dicta. Good night. night. Sleep well,
1: motherfucker.